Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada, and today is part two of a four-part series of the great cities of the Bible. Yesterday, I described Damascus, and today we're looking at Babylon. Oh, Babylon, city of mystery, history, and prophecy. The very name Bab-Iliu means the gate of the gods in the language Akkadian, which is the oldest recorded Semitic language and the most common language of the ancient Near East until the 8th century BC. Babylon was founded on the great river Euphrates, about 200 miles north of where the Euphrates joins the Tigris, and it drains into the Persian Gulf. Two of the four great rivers flowing out of Eden to, quote, water the garden, Genesis 2.14. Babylon was a sacred site dedicated to the false god Marduk, the city's patron god. Now, often Marduk, his name is included with the title Bel to indicate like a supremacy over all the other gods. And the city's inhabitants celebrated Marduk at the start of the new year with a festival that celebrated his ascension as king of all gods and his seating in his temple in the city. Marduk was mentioned in the Bible in Jeremiah 50, verse 1 and 2, where Yahweh ordered Jeremiah to declare, quote, Babylon has been captured, Bel has been put to shame, Marduk has been shattered, her images have been put to shame, and her idols have been shattered. For 2,000 years, Babylon dominated Mesopotamia. The Lexham Bible Dictionary indicates that Babylon was, quote, a cultural and political center of Mesopotamia during much of the second and first millennia BC. Located in modern-day Iraq, along one branch of the Euphrates River, about 59 miles southwest of Baghdad, if that helps orient your mind a little bit to where Babylon was. Now, this section is called Babylon Past. Throughout the entire Bible, Babylon stands as a dominating presence, as an actual historical empire, and also as a symbol of spiritual apostasy and evil opposition to God and his people. It's named Babel, is first found in Genesis 11:9. Quote, Therefore it is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And Babylon is the Greek form of the name Babel. Babylon began its ascent in 2300 BC toward greatness but really exploded in cultural and architectural wonders during the reign of Hammurabi in 1792 BC. He was the sixth king of his line. During his reign, and later his son's reign, numerous temples were built, 
irrigation channels excavated. King Hammurabi also conquered all the surrounding cities, including that famous city of Ur, where Abraham had lived centuries before. But like many cities, Babylon began to decline, and then it went up, and this up and down swing continued until Assyria was finally defeated. And it reached a pinnacle during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar II, and entrenched itself as one of the most important cities in the Near East. I'll read this quote from the World History Encyclopedia. The empire had been founded by Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nabopolassar, after his victories over the Assyrian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, too, would go on to even greater things, including the capture of Jerusalem in 597 BC. The Babylonian king then set about making his capital one of the most splendid cities in the world. So Nebuchadnezzar's reign showed Babylon reaching its heights of beauty and commerce. We see a picture of a reconstruction of the blue-tiled Ishtar Gate, which was the northern entrance to Babylon. And it was named after um, the god of love and war. Bulls and dragons, symbols of the god Marduk, decorated the gate. Now, here's the part about the hanging gardens. The most famous of Nebuchadnezzar's improvements to the city were those hanging gardens of Babylon. Quote, ancient gardens considered one of the seven wonders of the world and thought to have been located near the royal palace in Babylon. End quote. Well, no one is quite sure where those hanging gardens were in the city. There were enough descriptions of them in classical literature to know that they likely existed, though no one is sure of exactly what they looked like. The gardens were said to be hanging because they think that perhaps they were placed on a tall ziggurat with terraces, vaulted terraces, and they were described as having been watered by an exceptional system of irrigation and roofed with stone balconies on which were layered various materials so that the irrigation water would not seep through the terraces. They really were good engineers. And there's a link for, to a sh very short video about the gardens and the engineering involved with irrigating them in Daniel 4.30, we read perhaps the most famous story about Babylon, where King Nebuchadnezzar admires his splendid city from his palace rooftop, saying, quote, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal house by the strength of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Well, Barnes' note says of that verse, of Nebuchadnezzar, quote, he greatly enlarged the city. He built a new city on the west side of the river. He reared up a magnificent palace, constructed those celebrated hanging gardens, in fact, made the city so different from what it was and so greatly increased its splendor that he could say without impropriety that he had, quote, built it. 
end of Barnes notes on Nebuchadnezzar's engineering. However, we also know in the very next verse in Daniel 4.31 that it was a mistake to claim all that glory for himself because the very next verse says, quote, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Well, the city under Nebuchadnezzar, and here I am quoting an entry from Easton's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Under Nebuchadnezzar, who died in 561 BC, after a reign of 43 years, attained great splendor. In the reign of Belshazzar, the capital was taken by Darius. That's Daniel 5, 25 to 31, who entered it unexpectedly at the head of an army of Medes and Persians, as Isaiah and Jeremiah had predicted 170 years before. And then began the decay and ruin of this proud city. And the kingdom of Babylon became a part of the Persian Empire. In course of time, the great city became heaps and an astonishment and a hissing without inhabitant. Jeremiah 51, 37 to 58. Many of the Jews who had been carried captive to Babylon remained there, notwithstanding the decree of Cyrus. After the destruction of Jerusalem, there was an established at Babylon a school of Jewish learning of great repute. End quote from Easton's. Well, Babylon future? Babylon is mentioned in Revelation numerous times. We read in Revelation 14, 8, quote, And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality. Now Babylon was not only a city in history, not only an empire that rose and fell, but the name Babylon is also figurative of an evil commercial governmental system and an evil spiritual system going to read three paragraphs, a long quote from Roy Gingrich, whose um, commentaries are unusual in that they are outlines. Um, very pithy, concise commentaries that describe line by line most of the books of the Bible. And this is the one from his uh, commentary on Revelation. Let's begin with the fall of Babylon, Revelation 14.8. Gingrich says, quote, The announcement, another angel, announces the soon coming fall of Babylon. The Babylon mentioned here is not the religious system of chapter 17. That Babylon was destroyed at the midpoint of the 70th week. The Babylon mentioned here is the capital city of the political, religious, commercial system of chapter 18 which city and system will be destroyed when that seventh bowl is poured out. God destroys her because she made the nations drink 
the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That is, she caused them to commit spiritual fornication, which is punished by God's wrath. Continuing Gingrich's quote from his commentary, the book of Revelation, the destruction of religious Babylon as an ecclesiastical system seen in chapter 17. In the days of Nimrod, Genesis 10, 8 to 12, and his wife, Semiramis, around 200 years after the flood, two great systems came into existence. A God-defiant political system and a God-defiant religious system. One was founded by Nimrod and the other founded by Nimrod through his wife, Semiramis. These two systems are often called political Babylon and religious Babylon because they had their beginnings in Babylon. The one in the building of the city and the other in the building of the tower. The city Babylon is the symbol of organized political rebellion against God. And the Tower of Babylon is the symbol of organized re religious rebellion against God. End quote. Remember the Tower of Babel? That's what it's referring to here. So continuing just a bit more with Gingrich, quote, These two systems in varying forms have continued side by side down through the centuries, hating one another but for the sake of self-advancement, exchanging favors with one another. During the Middle Ages, these two systems were seen in the Holy Roman Empire and in the Roman Catholic Church. Today, Gingrich says, they are seen in the United Nations Organization and in the Ecumenical Church Movement. During the first half of Daniel's 70th week, they will be seen in the revived Roman Empire, that's the scarlet-colored beast of Revelation 17.3, and in the rejected Laodicean church, the great whore, Revelation 17.1. This is according to Gingrich's interpretation. It is very helpful in understanding Revelation 17 to know that the scarlet-colored beast and the great whore of chapter 17 are the final forms of the two great God-defiant systems which have been in existence for over 3,000 years. End Gingrich quote. Babylon actual and Babylon spiritual offer many lessons for us. You know, whenever I think of Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, I often think Babylon and Jerusalem. In the New Testament, Babylon is always mentioned negatively as a seat of evil, ungodly power. It signifies the world and its forces in opposition to, to God. It is often contrasted with the New Jerusalem, in which God will finally reign supreme with no opposition ever again. We believers will live in the city God built, not a city made by man like Assyria's Damascus, or like Caesar's Rome, or like Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. 
It will be a pure city devoid of anything detracting from the glory of Jesus and his light. Well, this last section is called Babylon Present. Whatever became of the actual historical city of Babylon? It really no longer exists. It is a ruin, and though it was opened to tourists again in 2009, there's not much to see. It's estimated that only about 5% of the old city has even been excavated. We have a quote here from unusual traveler visiting the ruins of Babylon. Babylon would stay under the Persian Empire's rule for 200 years before Alexander the Great conquered Babylon in 331 BC. He had plans to make Babylon the capital of his empire, but he died there in 323 BC before his dream became reality. Alexander's generals divided his empire among themselves immediately after his death. That is how Seleucius, I think I mispronounced that, obtained the historical city of Babylon. But not long after, he moved most of the population to his new capital, which left Babylon decaying and deserted. End quote. Will Babylon, the city, rise again? Only the Lord knows. Babylon, the metaphor for an economy and ecclesiastical system, will indeed rise again to uncontested dominance and be part of the major events to occur prophesied in the future. If the Babylonian system can even be said to have disappeared in the first place. Yet Babylon actual and Babylon figurative will finally be squashed in the future when revelation events occur and Jesus' wrath wipes out the evil system. The Lord, as always, reigns supreme. There will be no king looking out from his own rooftop and congratulating his own self on his achievements. There will be no pagan priests celebrating a false god like Marduk on a mythical throne. There will be no garden except the one the Lord himself planted, meaning the world. It will be pure, verdant, and full of peoples who acknowledge Jesus alone as the supreme Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And what a day that will be. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.